Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. If you've got your Bible with you, digital or otherwise, go ahead and turn to the book of John, chapter 10. Uh, If you're new to Christianity, new to the Bible, uh, you can download a, a Bible app easy enough. Uh, if you go into your app store, uh, if you know your way around Scripture, go ahead to John chapter 10, fourth book of the New Testament. If you've been a part of the ARCF family the last couple of years, you know we are working our way little bit by little bit through this gospel, this testimony from a first century pastor who knew Jesus and was good friends with Jesus. And uh, we find ourselves here at chapter 10. When I was in third or fourth grade, can't remember exactly, I read my first large fiction book, like something that was intended for grown-ups, The Death and Life of Superman, found it in the library. If you're under the age of 20, a library is a physical place. All right, I won't try to be funny. But I found this book in the library, and it seemed really captivating to me for the reason I think the author intended. The Death and Life of Superman. That's the title. And so it tells you in advance what's going to happen to some degree. Superman's going to die, right? This is already mind-bending. How could this possibly happen? But just as astonishing, the title tells me to expect resurrection. I'm expecting to hear a history, the life and death of Superman. Instead, you invert it and you tell me that something truly amazing is about to happen And it's funny, I don't know whether uh, Roger Stern, the author, loves Jesus or not, but he's borrowing off of a 2,000-year-old idea. Because we're going to see Jesus say today in John 10, before he even went to his death, he is going to say, I lay my life down for the sheep, and I'm going to take my life back up again. He tells us that in advance. So today's sermon is titled, The Shepherd That Dies and Lives for His Sheep. Let's go ahead and read together what our brother John recorded around 60 years or so after Jesus was raised to life and ascended into heaven. These are the words of Jesus, starting in John 10, verse 1. We're going to do 21 verses together. I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep, and the gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. So he explained it to them. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. 
I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me, just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too. They are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The father loves me because I sacrificed my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my father has commanded. When he said these things, the people were divided in their opinions about him. Some said, he's demon-possessed and out of his mind. Why listen to a man like that? Others said, this doesn't sound like a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Holy Spirit, this morning, would you please teach us the word of God? Holy Spirit, would you get past our distractions, please? Would you get past our sometimes very silly objections? God, where we don't want to allow Jesus to be as big as he really is. God, I ask for miracles on a spiritual level this morning in every heart of every person that's listening to the word taught. God, allow anything that I interject into this sermon for my own opinion to just fall away and leave standing what is clear and what is true from you. We ask that we'd be blessed in this way, God, so that we could be a blessing to others. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray, and God's people said, amen. Note takers, grab your pens. There are no normal sermon notes because you're not here in the room with me, but that some of you love writing in your margin. You've got a pencil or a pen for the margin of your Bible or maybe a sheet of paper that you've got. We've got three points today. First, true shepherds preach Jesus. True shepherds preach Jesus. Read with me again the first 10 verses. Jesus speaking, I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. So let's break this down. If someone's trying to get into your house over the, in the cover of night and they're not at the front door fiddling with a key, they're trying to get into the house some other way, doesn't that look fishy? That, that's what he's trying to say. It looks fishy. Verse two, but the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. There are all these signs that he's the person who's supposed to be there, okay? He calls out his own sheep by name. He knows them, isn't that cool? And he leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. That's a whole sermon unto itself, right? They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. And let me skip down to verse 10 where he reiterates something. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And he's talking about the flock. True shepherds 
come through the gate the way that you're supposed to. They're not hopping a fence to try to steal a sheep off the side. They're coming the way that they're supposed to. And, and who does Jesus tell us is the gate? Right? He says that he is the gate and he is the shepherd. He is a lot of things. Uh, if you've been around church for a while, you, you can see in Levitical law how the temple is set up, how the tabernacle is set up, uh, all these different symbols. And Jesus comes along. Which one is Jesus? Yes. He is the holy of holies. He, he is the altar. He's most importantly the animal on the altar. He is the great high priest. He is the presence of God descendant like fire. He's all of it. So let's not get too distracted with Jesus' mixed metaphors here. He tells us at least two parts of the illustration are him. He is the true and loving shepherd and he is the gate. And he says, if somebody comes and tries to access the, the people of God and they don't come through the gate, they're a thief and a robber. So who's the gate? Jesus, okay? If someone is trying to teach you, if you love Jesus Christ and someone's trying to teach you, they're trying to sell you a book and calling it Christian doctrine, trying to preach a sermon online like this one and they're calling it Christian doctrine. They're trying to teach a Sunday school class or a, or a disciple group and they're calling it Christian doctrine. But that person does not preach Jesus. Jesus is not the savior of the world. He's not the forgiver of sins. He's just a nice guy. He's an add-on to your attempt to be a really good person or, or some other nonsense that the Bible doesn't teach. That's not the shepherd. That's the thief and the robber who is here to kill, steal, and destroy, right? True shepherds are either gonna be, it's gonna be Jesus who walks in the front of the gate or someone who walks in through Jesus, who's here representing him, preaching him, and teaching that he is the true shepherd who loves us, who lays down his life for the sheep. Uh, this is critical that we listen to Jesus when he says there, there are those that don't try to access the flock of God the right way, and they have poor intentions. I experienced this. I was 17 or 18 years old. Some, if you guys live around uh, the, the Arden Arcade uh, Carmichael area over here in Madison Avenue, there's Mardi Gras Lanes. And I was there for um, some kind of a school event. And we were standing in this, a bunch of high schoolers standing in this big line on a Friday night waiting to pay our fees and get our shoes. And this very odd man looking back, I mean, just very socially peculiar guy. And I'm going to say he was maybe in his mid to late 30s and he was bald and he had this big scar from a uh, surgery he'd had, came in and had, I don't know what else to call it, a disciple following close uh, at his side. And they had a little hardback Bible and they're looking, clearly looking for people to talk to. And I don't remember how it happened, but he started talking to me. And when I say socially awkward, I mean he really got in my personal bubble. Um, didn't know what I was supposed to do with that. This guy was just, he was just odd. And he opened up this Bible to try to show me over and over again this phrase, in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, which is a very common phrase in the Bible. And if you understand Jewish thought, this means in the authority of, in the full weight and authority of that person. 
Um, and what this guy was trying to say to me was that if we prayed or did anything or taught the Bible and used any other name other than Yahweh, like even though I'm an English speaker in the 20th century, I'm supposed to say Yahweh. And he was trying to tell me that if I said anything other than Yahweh, that my prayers were invalid, that I was teaching the Bible wrong. I know, Jeremy's up here in the sound booth going, what? Thank you, Jeremy. It's crazy. I've never heard anything since, before or since, uh, exactly like this. But I was supposed to, as an English speaker, say Yahweh. He asked me, well, how do you say the name of Jesus in Spanish? I said, Jesucristo. He said, yeah, a false God. And then he moved on with his argument like he had proved something. No, Jesucristo is not a false God. That's how you say Jesus' name in Espanol, correcto? You don't just get to call something something and move on. It was ludicrous. The whole thing was ludicrous. And he used the illustration of a football player who's the running back, and he's handed the football, and he runs 80 yards. Wow, this amazing touchdown, only to get called back for a penalty, and the touchdown is not scored. And what he was saying in the illustration was, You wouldn't want to live your whole life and it looks like you're winning and you get to heaven and in fact, you didn't pray to Yahweh, you didn't worship Yahweh and you didn't say the name Yahweh even when you were reading it out of a Bible. You're supposed to say Yahweh all the time. And I wasn't that smart when I was 17. The jury is still out now at age 36. But I felt something very wrong in my spirit and I think, guess that's what you say, the grace of God through parents that love Jesus and, and uh, good Sunday school teachers. Something didn't feel right about this guy. And something didn't feel right about what he was saying. Who says that I am tied to this word Yahweh, which I found out later in my adult life, we still don't actually even know how God's name is pronounced because our forefathers respected the name so much that they only wrote down the consonants and not the vowels. That's intense. But this guy didn't, clearly didn't know that. I knew that he was building this illustration out of even what I had been taught, if I love Jesus Christ and trust Jesus Christ's blood sacrificed on the cross to wash away my sins, and I live life that way, that there's this penalty back on the 20 that's gonna negate all of that, I knew that didn't feel right. I couldn't articulate it really well at the age of 17, but I knew that it didn't feel right. Why are you telling me that I have to add on, that I have to do something other than to lean my full weight into the cross of Jesus Christ to deliver me from the condemnation that sin brings? Why are you telling me there's an add-on? Because... Paul said to the Galatians, look, if even I come or an angel from heaven comes and adds on something to this gospel, let him be accursed. So who are are you? Who's this guy coming after 17 and 18-year-olds trying to deceive? He's not preaching Jesus. So what is he doing? He's not going through the door to access the sheep. He's not the rightful owner of the sheep. He's sneaking in over the fence. That's what he's doing. Here's what I want to ask you. If you name the name of Christ, you call yourself a Christian. I know these are slowly going the way of the dinosaur, but I want you to envision the last time that you were in a Christian bookstore. When you're in a regular bookstore and you call yourself a Christian, I hope that you have some discerning lenses, not just for your head, but for your heart, that there are 
tons and tons of ideas, um, truth, propositions made in countless books in this store. But there's a temptation when a place calls itself a Christian bookstore. There's a temptation to let down your guard. There's a desire, hopefully out of innocence, hope there's a desire to believe that you're amongst allies, that everybody here is a brother and sister, everybody who wrote these books is a brother and sister. Um, and I just, I'm like, I'm pretty sure we just can't say that, unfortunately. I'm pretty sure we can't say that, unfortunately. Um, if you've been a Christian for a while, you probably definitely could share. Uh, if you're on Facebook right now, go ahead and share a testimony. Uh, finding a book on a shelf in a Christian bookstore that once you actually started reading it, something's not right here. Jesus isn't the gate He's not the way to the sheep. He's some kind of a secondary. He's some kind of an add-on. It just didn't feel right. I remember even 20 years ago, but I think it's still true now, uh, 20 years ago, the, the Christian bookstore that I used, because it was the one closest to my house, um, they allowed books from a group that publicly declared salvation by grace alone through faith alone. Whoever believes that is cursed. You're actually cursed if you believe in salvation by grace alone. You have to have works on top of it. You have to work your way to heaven. And that group was allowed to have their books on the shelves. I just, I don't think so. There were people that were allowed to have their books on the shelves when they said, Jesus is just a means to an end. He wants you to always be happy, always be healthy, always be wealthy. We're gonna call it Christianity. And we don't have anything for you when the day of trouble comes. We have no theology for you at all when the doctor says, I'm sorry, we've done all we know how to do. But we are gonna just tell you, you gotta have more faith, you gotta have more faith. And so really, when bad things happen, it's entirely your fault. You didn't have enough faith. This bookstore allowed those kind of books to be on the shelf. So even though today we're in the world of Amazon, this bookstore maybe is just an image of something that's now more digital. I wanna encourage you, if you love Jesus, to be just like the Bereans who in the book of Acts were praised for when Paul came and preached to them, they opened up the scriptures it didn't matter that Paul said he was an ally of Yahweh. Great, lots of people say that. They opened the scriptures and asked themselves, is this teacher coming through the gate or is this teacher hopping over the fence? Brothers and sisters of ARCF, we have to have the same uh, scrutiny today in 2021 over ideas that are taught to us, things that we see in our social media feed, books that we read, things that we hear in the news of people who say they are Christian teachers. I don't say this to say Jesus doesn't want us to be cynics. There's no, there's no point in being cynical about the whole world, but simply knowing that we have an amazing shepherd, his name is Jesus, and he has big enemies. Not big for him, but big for us. Satan, sin, and death hate him. And therefore, Satan, sin, and death hate us. We have enemies. True shepherds preach Jesus. And they will do so faithfully. They will do so consistently. If Jesus is always the point, 
That's a Bible teacher. I heard all the amens at home. That was great. Secondly, for you note takers, Jesus' ownership of his church is for the benefit of his church. Go ahead and write that one in your margin. Even if you're not a note taker, grab a pen. Write that one down. This is a big deal. Jesus' ownership of his church, the bride of Christ, Christians, is for the benefit of his church. Now, as Americans, we don't like this language whatsoever, and it might have bothered us right there in the text when it sounded like he owns us. He's a shepherd and we're the sheep. Well, let's go back to the text. Read with me verses 11 through 16. Let's tackle this. Verse 11, Jesus speaking. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Does, it, does that sound like he's abusing you? No, okay. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. Do you hear what Jesus' focus is? This is amazing. You are my flock and I'm not gonna lord it over you the way human leadership operates. I don't tax you to death and live high on the hog in some secret palace somewhere with the aristocracy while you guys slave it out as peasants in the fields. No, that's human history. Jesus says, I am the shepherd, and he says it, I am the good shepherd, over and over. Well, Jesus, what makes you good? I'm glad you asked. I lay down my life for the sheep. A wolf doesn't scare me. I go after that wolf. I'm not running away like an employee. You guys are mine, and I am yours. I'll lay down my life for you. Does that sound good? If you're exploring what you think of Jesus and people say these big claims like Jesus is Lord, he's over you, he owns you, he has purchased you by his blood, he's a king and you're a sub, one of his subjects, this could sound like, wait, I'm not in control? I'm not the Lord over my destiny? I, I'm not sure if I like that. Jesus' lordship is for the benefit of those that he leads. He is a king and everyone who is in his kingdom loves having him in charge. Let's talk about a garden. To work out this illustration a tiny bit, to work out this idea of ownership and blessing. Let me state it again from you know, human behavior, human history. As a, in, in world history, human beings own things so that they get control of the blessing. I purchased it so I could control the cash flow. I purchased it so I can control the business. I purchased it so I'd get dividends you know, twice a year. And those aren't necessarily evil, but it's not how God works. When God owns something, he blesses everything he touches. We see this in the creation poem of Genesis 1. He created it, and it says, and he blessed them. He created it, and he blessed them. This is so different than our broken human thinking. A garden done rightly, if the gardener owns this land, 
has dominion over it, stewardship of it. Not stewardship, ownership, actually owns. The gardener picks the weeds. The gardener makes sure there's plenty of sunshine by trimming branches of trees nearby. The gardener keeps away pests. The gardener tests the soil and goes, wow, we need a little more nitrogen over here and runs to Lowe's and comes back. Everything keeps getting better in this garden. These vegetables are thriving. These flowers are thriving. The honeybees are thriving. Everything's better because there's an owner, not because there's no owner. You and I have been trained to think no one is the boss of me. And the anarchy of the human soul is just a mess when no one's in charge, when I'm in charge and I'm not very good at really anything, especially when you think of all of the ethics, all of the ethical decisions that human existence has to choose and I'm kind of broken. I don't know about you. If the garden runs itself, what does it look like? No rational person would look at this picture and say, this happened naturally. You wouldn't look at those two-bys and those planter boxes, the cute little metal rooster. Everything about it speaks of design and purpose and intentionality. And to mix metaphors, it looks like shepherding. It looks like somebody is caring for this area. Sheep that are clean, sheep that have oil for their heads, sheep that don't have bite marks from wolves, sheep that have nice full bellies, and sheep that have enough water. You know what that makes it look like? It looks like you guys have a good shepherd. That's what it looks like. I think you've got a good shepherd. So, oops, I didn't make that a slide like I thought I was going to. I apologize. So if you are not sure yet what you think of Jesus, I wanna ask you a really important question. I understand that culturally and normally, it is very offensive, it's even repulsive to think of somebody else being in charge of me. All we can think of is 19th century transatlantic slave trade or maybe thinking, we're thinking of something smaller than that, like a jerk boss that you used to have. This, you, you're not the boss of me ethos. What if I told you that you might love have some, having somebody be the boss of you spiritually because he created you out of his loving and creative heart and he designed you, glove and hand, for humanity and God to always be together. What if I told you that? What if I told you that? You were made for God. I was made for God and we rebelled against him and we told him we were smarter than him and we could run the universe better than him. But in his patience and in his mercy, he is calling humanity back to himself through the cross of Christ. He's saying, this is the horrible punishment you guys deserve for your rebellion. I'm gonna soak that wrath into myself. I'm gonna take that punishment into my own chest, into my nail-pierced hands and feet so that I can offer you forgiveness. I want humanity reconciled back to me. Allow me to die for you. That's what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. That's what this claim is, that when Jesus says he's a king and he's a Lord over you, he's not lording it over you the way humans do. He'll lay down his life for you. And he did on a cross 2,000 years ago. Our text today out of John 10 is before he goes to that cross. He's telling us in advance what's gonna happen. 
So if you're exploring faith and you find this ownership to be repulsive, I wanna submit to you that the repulsiveness goes away when we start to accept the reality that Jesus is inherently good and kind and benevolent. Like that perfect boss that you had that you didn't mind doing what he or she said because they were kind and considerate to you. We all know what it's like to work for a good boss or to work for a terrible boss. It wasn't authority that was the problem. The problem is, are you a kind and loving person? Jesus is loving and Jesus is kind. He lays down his life for the sheep. Third, Jesus came to die and live for the sheep. Jesus came to die and to live for the sheep. Look at verse 17 with me. The Father loves me because I sacrifice my life. For what purpose? Talk to me at home. Woo, is that intense or what? So I may take it back again. We never talk about that one. I go to a cross. Jesus went to the cross for a number of reasons. He just said right there, I'm going to the cross so that I can be resurrected. You guys need resurrection so bad, and I can't resurrect myself unless I die first. This flock needs me to die for a bunch of reasons, but they need me to rise too. They need somebody who's defeated death, or they're going to keep dying. They're going to stay in their spiritual death, their state of rebellion against God. This flock needs me to die, Jesus is saying, and this flock needs me to rise again. And they only happen in that order, right? There's no resurrection if there isn't death first. 18, no one can take my life from me. Is that a big claim at home? Say yes. That is a godlike claim. No one can kill me. Wow. I sacrifice my life voluntarily for, because, because I have the authority to lay it down when I want to, which means he wants to, and also to take it up again, which means he wants to. For this is what my father has commanded. My father has commanded it. I want to. The sheep need it. All of these reasons. Jesus came to die for his sheep and then to live for his sheep. Go back in your mind. Go to this central image of a shepherd and maybe a hundred sheep over on a Judean hillside. Let me ask you an important question. How safe is the flock if the shepherd gets killed? Not very safe. They'd reasonably be terrified. In fact, there were 11 who were hiding up in the upper room right after Jesus was crucified, wondering if they were next. Everybody knew these 11 were the natural leaders of the movement. If you crucify the leader, why wouldn't you come after the 11 disciples? They're terrified. They've lost sight of what he said, that I will come back to life on the third day. Terrified just like you and I would be. The sheep are terrified because the shepherd is dead. So if Jesus loves us, and he does, he's not only gonna die to wash away the sins of everyone who would believe, he can't stay dead for very long and still be a good shepherd his flock needs him. There's yet, yet another reason for the resurrection. We needed him 
And we still need him 2,000 years later. He can't protect us from wolves if he's dead. And so he came back to live for the sheep, to protect the sheep, to lead the sheep, to care for the sheep. And for that, I'm grateful. I don't know if you are. There are only two responses to choose from for you and I when Jesus talks like this. Look at the last three verses of the text. Starting at verse 19. When he said these things, the people were again divided in their opinions about Jesus, about him. Some said, so here's group one, he's demon-possessed and out of his mind. Why listen to a man like that? Others said, group number two, this doesn't sound like a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Now, if you haven't been with us, that's what happened in chapter nine, right before this. Right before this whole discussion, Jesus took a man who was blind and healed his eyes. So group one says, he's got a demon. That is nonsense. He's crazy. Group two says, since when do evil spirits bring healing and blessing? That doesn't make sense. You don't have to have seen The Exorcist to know the answer to that one. People who write horror movies, they don't bring in demons to come start giving out Girl Scout cookies to people. That's what, not what, you know, demons are supposed to be the bad guys, right? And that's what these guys are saying. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Or another question, would a demon? If an evil spirit had the power to bless, would they do it? No, that's what makes them evil. These are the only two responses when Jesus starts making big claims, like I am the good shepherd, I am the gate. No one can rightfully get in or out of the people of God except through me. What? Big claims, big, big claims. And you and I, 2,000 years later, are still, if we're intellectually honest, we're still forced to listen to what Jesus said and make up our minds. Is this guy crazy? Or is he God? Is he crazy? Or is he God? We're gonna take a few minutes to respond to God's word right now. And while the music plays, I'm gonna ask you to pray and think. Uh, at the end of this time, I'm gonna share a few announcements, things going on in the life of our church. But right now, we need to not miss this moment. God, what are you saying to us from John chapter 10? Holy Spirit, what are you trying to say in my heart? And even if you've been a Christian for a very long time, these questions are still really good to ask your soul. So I wanna ask you to maybe close your eyes and meditate on these questions for a few moments. Will I explain away Jesus' miracles and teachings or will I worship? If you're not a Christian, you need to look straight into this story and do the same thing that the crowd is doing. Am I gonna explain this away as him being nuts or will I worship him as God? for who he has declared himself to be. If you've been a Christian, don't, don't skip past these like they don't apply to you and apply to me. You and I still very much feel a temptation to not take the big things of God seriously. That's what allows this book to remain closed and dusty. Does Jesus really infect every area of my life? Do I need him every day like bread, like water? 
Will I explain away, you know, Jesus' miracles and teachings, that was just a cool thing 2,000 years ago. It doesn't really apply today, though. I don't need to be re-amazed by his power. I don't need to be re-amazed at how loving he is to me, right? See how silly that sounds if I say it out loud? When you and I, if we are Christians, we keep this Bible closed on any day, it doesn't matter if it's a Tuesday, a Saturday, I am saying when I keep it closed, Lord, I don't need to be re-amazed by your power. Lord, I do not need to be re-amazed and enthralled with your love. We, we know that sin is always at the door. And if I'm gonna honor God and bless people around me well, I need to constantly be looking into the life and the words of my shepherd because I hear his voice and I know it. And what do I do when I hear his voice? I follow I follow. So let's spend a few moments asking ourselves these questions. Be really honest. If you want to serve yourself really well right now, force yourself to be honest with these two questions. Will I explain away Jesus' miracles and teachings or will I worship? Before we dismiss, I want to share a couple of things going on in the life of our church. First, on Tuesday night, March 2nd, right here on campus in the Pringle Building, Room 1, the Kennedys are hosting Financial Peace University. This is an absolutely critical class if you've never been a part of it. Uh, I'll share a full testimony some other time, but I will just quickly tell you this. Emily and I, by God's grace, paid off our credit cards in 2011, and we're never looking back. Amen, right? Um, 
We don't make a ton of money, but it's not what this class is about. This class is about taking what the Lord has given you and handling it in a way according to what God's word teaches you to do with it, um, starting with, amongst other things, being grateful <laughs> for what the Lord has given. It really is powerful to start to look at money God's way, and I really wanna encourage you to get into this class right away. The link to go to fpu.com or .org, I forget, is right here uh, in the Facebook feed. So go ahead and click on that uh, and make sure to get signed up right away. I, I do promise it will absolutely, um, frankly, change your life, especially those of you who are married, uh, to be able to communicate with your spouse about money. Perhaps some of you for the first time, it's been a source of uh, conflict because you haven't had a plan and this class is gonna give you a plan. It's going to reduce the stress, it's gonna reduce the conflict, and it's gonna increase your ability to be generous and kind and a blessing to people around you. So talk to the Kennedys if you've got more questions. And uh, secondly, we've got coming up here just a uh, nine days from now, on Tuesday, nine days from now, we've got another blood drive that's gonna be right here in this room. I wanna reiterate what I said to you earlier because this is not just some cute event that we slapped on the calendar. When we had a blood drive in December, it was because the organizer called me up and said, because of COVID and the way that things are working, people are staying home and they're not giving blood and we're at a real crisis level in our hospitals. We need blood and we need it desperately. You guys were total champs and between ARCF family and people from the community that heard we had a blood drive, uh, I think it was like 22 or 24 units, something really good. They were really, really excited about the amount of blood that was donated last time. And they said, as long as COVID is still a thing, we're still in this crisis. Could we sign you guys up for another blood drive? And I said, absolutely. So again, nine days from today, uh, I'm gonna be emailing out the link just like last time in December so that you can get in there and uh, donate. It was a really fun event if you were here in December. It was, it was good to mix it up with people and see people from our community come in here and watching us steward this facility in a way that blesses people outside of it. Amen? Right? So that's all I've got for you. I love you guys so, so much. Please stay in the Word of God. Keep your Bibles open, but not for too long. Keep them open just long enough to get your orders and then stand up away from your Bible and go find a human being and love and serve that person the way that the Bible told you to. Love you guys so much. Have a great week.